Welcome to the Gain, Grow, Retain podcast. Hi, everybody. This is Jay Nathan from the Gain, Grow, Retain community, and I've got Jeff Frunsbach and Christy Falteruso with me as well, uh, which we do almost every Wednesday now. We go live around, <laughs> we say noonish uh, uh, Eastern time on Wednesdays, but we, uh, we basically record a podcast every Wednesday now. Uh, again, we still don't have a name for it, Christy, Jeff, we've got to figure that out. Uh, but it's basically Q and a with Christy. And so, um, we, uh, take questions that we get from LinkedIn, that we get from emails that we get now from our, from our, from our own teams. And, um, and we just sort of go back and forth and, and try to talk to the answers to those. So, uh, good to see you guys today. And today, I think what we're going to do is talk a little bit about playbooks. Christy, you had some questions come in around, playbooks. So you want to, you want to go through those and um, we can start, we can start there. Yeah. So I've had actually some really great conversations with several different leaders this week. Um, and yet actually even piggybacking off of some, a few LinkedIn threads from last week, but it seems that people are interested in understanding, you know, if they don't have a full court program, like full court press program that they've built out for their CS processes, what are just some really important playbooks that they should be thinking about building to empower their team um, at specific points in the journey. So um, I thought what we could do today is kind of maybe pick our top three each and try not to repeat each other's playbooks, but that'll give everybody nine, right? If I'm doing math correctly. (laughs) So nine good playbooks that we think would be beneficial for folks to focus on and kind of talk through maybe some of the, even the tactics and, and kind of steps that would go into those playbooks to really support that. Um, and so why don't we kind of go round Robin and so Jay, I'm going to start with you. So you have to pick one playbook to start with. Um, what do you think is an important one that we feel like is applicable to most organizations, important to support the journey and some of the steps that you think should be included as we think about building that out? Okay. Well, I'm glad I get to go first because I know I'm going to steal one that you guys are probably already (laughs) thinking of, but first let, I mean, let's talk about, I, so as I've built playbooks out, what I've found is that a playbook can actually apply to multiple different triggers. And so um, I think it's important to, to think about the triggers that trigger something to happen within a relationship and then the playbook that you apply, you know, when that thing happens. But one of the things that happens a lot in every, every customer relationship in, in, in the SaaS environment and otherwise is you have a, you have a change of a, of a stakeholder and oftentimes you have executive stakeholders that change. And when that happens, you know, they, new people come in with a new idea of what they want to do and how they want to do it and the tools that they want to use. They typically are coming from a, a, a set of tools that they've used in the past successfully. And like once you are an executive and you move around a little bit, like you, you wouldn't dream of going anywhere and not taking that tool with you. And that can really put you at risk. So if you're the vendor who is not the, that tool within that relationship. So for me, new educating new executives on your value proposition and building a relationship with them is a really key thing for us to handle. And so the steps in that are just getting a basic introduction, getting an audience with this person, providing them some value out of the gates. So whether you're sending them, you know, they're, they're probably, if they're an executive stakeholder, they're probably not going to review a bunch of your content before you get on the phone with them. Not always, right? So finding a way to feed them little nuggets of information, maybe it's through a series of emails, like a welcome or an onboarding series that they could actually be educated about your company and some of the things that you're doing for them already. Um, And then obviously having that opportunity, ideally to meet them face-to-face if it's an enterprise account 
understand their priorities, how they're thinking about the business and what they're planning to do as they join and incorporate and get integrated into the, the overall uh, strategy of the company. So I think it's just everything leading up to that relationship and then how you maintain the relationship with those, those leaders um, after the fact. So that's an important one for me. I thought it was one a great one. That's definitely not what I thought you were going to lead with. I thought you would take maybe something a little bit more obvious. So that was a great one. <laughs> oh, yeah, good. I was, well, I feel I was like hoping that was you overly obvious. So that's good. Um, and I think to add on to that too, Jay, like one, one way that I've done that in my career as well, uh, as there's been a transition is to almost what I've done is record a video of yourself doing like the latest QBR deck or whatever results that we have to share, just proactively start preparing these things and getting some face-to-face -face interaction. And especially in today's world where we're, we might not be able to go visit them in person is like, Hey, can I record a video of our most recent QBR or of our if we have a success plan, can I just record a video of that, you know, talk them through it, make it conversational, a little casual, hopefully too, to start kind of, um, I know, you know, that we tend to think about just business relationships as, you know, very, um, business centric. I don't know the right word, but like as very just stark. Formal. So I think just, yeah, formal is the right word. There you go. So I'm just trying to think like, how do you open that up? Um, and, and kind of have the way to, to make an introduction. So I think it's another way to think about that. Um, I think maybe the obvious one that I wanted to pick off and I'm glad you didn't pick this one because I need to start writing the next one down after I say this <laughs> is just the, that sales transition and the transition with implementation, I think is a, a playbook to think about. Um, I think we tend to see that a lot of times customer success just isn't involved at the right times and isn't involved with the right stakeholders. And so I think um, if you can outline the right playbook and then get the buy-in from sales implementation and customer success, like that is really our, to me is one of the critical playbooks because it's the first introduction to our company. It's the first engagement that they're going to have. And we don't want to drop the ball. We don't want to, you know, make sure we miss anything. And so a couple of key things that stand out to me is um, thinking about the right timing. So, you know, how do we get involved? Uh, right, maybe right as the deal closes, but not, not interfere with the sales teams closing the deal, right? It's really kind of an intricate thought process, but I think there's got to be some, uh, some balance put in there where we're kind of making the introduction at the right time. The second thing is thinking about implementation. If it's, you know, for your product, sometimes it can be complicated and technical. And so there are going to be new stakeholders that are going to start to be involved. It's going to overwhelm the customer. And so trying to make sure we've got maybe two tracks that we're thinking about, we're thinking about onboarding from a people perspective, and then we're thinking about implementation of the software and product, and having those two actually baked out as kind of different work streams with different outcomes and different touch points maybe uh, is the way I like to think about that. And then specifically on the onboarding piece from the CSM perspective, are we engaging kind of the executive stakeholder and kind of reinforcing the value of why they bought some of the, some of the things that we learned in the sales cycle and then allowing the implementation team to kind of get on their kickoff process with the technical pieces, the configuration, the integrations that we might have um, to start that whole thing. So those are a couple of things that I think about just, but I think again, to me, that seems out, seems to stand out for me as like the, premier one to think about with onboarding and implementation of customers because it is the first introduction to our company. Christy, what would you say to that? Oh, well, one, you stole mine. That is, so I would lead with that because I do think to your point, right? That's almost the most important one because it is like your first, your first parlay into the conversation with a customer. So I think nailing that one is really important. And one thing I've done with that playbook is I've actually kind of 
created not just like that transition, but I, I call it like our new customer kickoff. And that playbook actually runs for a period of time because it is running in parallel with onboarding. And so the last step that we have in there is actually the onboarding survey, which gets deployed after we do like our onboarding uh, wrap up. And that's the customer's confirmation that they feel like they're set up to succeed and we can progress in their relationship. So um, I'm with you, super, super important. I think you hit on a lot of things there. I would say just, you know, if your CSMs are not owning the onboarding, make sure that you've got like specific tasks and maybe activities that you want them to be running in parallel to your point, right? Keep that engagement going so that CSMs have a very specific role that they're playing and, and that's clear to the customer. Yeah, two, uh, two quick points I wanna add onto that too. I think a lot of times, and, and rightly so, we are focused on meeting the customer, engaging the relationship, right? But I also think there's some things that we think about, we, we tend to forget on our side internally. Like, hey, we can be researching the company that just signed, right? Like we don't have to rely on sales for everything that they've learned. We can go Google, we can go to Crunchbase, I have Glassdoor, I've got YouTube. Like I think there's a plethora of tools that as a CSM, I used to deploy myself, which was basically how do I get a zero to 100 on, on their business before I even meet them? And then that just gives me such a frame of reference. Another one that I think people really don't think about a lot is finding a similar company who just signed for your, so say we just signed a new client, say they're a private company, um, go find a public company and read their S1 report, which is their uh, market earnings. Like you're gonna learn a lot about the industry even from their S1 report that they put out on a regular basis, or sorry, not even S1, their quarterly earnings report. Uh, S1 would be if they're going to IPO, which you can also read, which is interesting. But um, I think about that a lot. Ziv said the honeymoon stage, which I think, um, is always, you know, is his, his nomenclature for that. But the other thing I just wanted to, uh, quickly maybe outline too, I think we've, we've talked about some of these things that Jay mentioned, but I, right now, at least if I was going to build playbooks from scratch, like the, the four things I wrote down that I think about are what's the trigger, what's the actual play that we're going to run, what is the outcome and result, and then what's the follow-up. Um, and so I was just trying to think of a simple framework that somebody could use. Um, so Christy, what would you add or change about, you know, those four trigger play outcome follow-up? Uh, would you change anything about that? No, I think that's, framework? I think you kind of outlined it in four simple kind of components, right? That I think you can build in the activities into that. And I think it makes a ton of sense. And I think it listens, every leader and company is going to have a different approach to it. Like I know that I'm probably very specific in outlining all the tasks and activities that I have and others feel like, listen, I'm going to nail down the, the four most important things I want the CSMs to do and like kind of let them fill in the gaps because we know that all of our customers are a bit more, you know, a bit different or unique in that sense. So, you know, I think this is where it becomes really cool is that you put your own spin on it given the, the organization. All right, Christy, what's yours? Okay. So um, I, I'm going to stay with this theme of like not super obvious and go with an account transition playbook. Oh. Mm. So, um, and why I picked this is, you know, you know, for those of you who are familiar with what I've been doing on my team is that we're growing a lot, which is very, very exciting. But as a result, we are moving accounts around all the time. And we know that that could be extremely disruptive to customers um, and our internal teams, right? So I think it's super important to just have a framework around what that looks like and what you expect your teams to be doing how you're communicating with your customers. So this is all about moving one account from one CSM to another CSM. And it could be because there's somebody new, somebody leaves, it could be, you know, the customer is moving segments. So there's a bunch of different, I think, kind of uses for when this is applicable, but anytime an account's changing hands. Um, yep. And so a couple of things that I would call out, um, I will say my, my playbook has 11 tasks associated with this, and it's probably not even everything, but, um, 
One, we have a tracker, so we like to keep track of this. You need to make sure that you've got visibility into which accounts are moving to whom and when, especially if you're doing it in bulk, right? If there's a lot of accounts changing hands, especially if you've got a CSM who's departing your team, right? You probably have to find a new home for all those accounts. So you need to have that visibility. So create a tracker of sorts to keep, to keep some visibility around like what's happening. Um, the second thing I would do is like make sure that your CSM, if you have the luxury of this, Make sure that your existing CSM and your new CSM, they're having conversations, you're doing that knowledge transfer, that they're up to speed on everything. Making sure that, you know, all the systems are current. I always make sure my team, you know, keep Salesforce up to date, keep Gainsight for us up to date, right? Like make sure all of your, your systems of record are current um, and that everything is there. So that way, again, you've got visibility into all those things. You know, make sure all of your decks are being shared. Like if you did an EBR recently, is that attached to all those files, all those things? Google the account, right? So Jeff, just like you talked about in the kickoff, right? Go do your research. Go find out what the customer does. Go Google them. Look them up. Um, you know, Crunchbase. There's there's so many resources out there. So go do your due diligence and understanding who that customer is. Talk about when you're going to communicate this to the customer, right? That I think is a big point. I think where a lot of companies get it wrong is that they either fail to communicate, fail to communicate the right way. There's too much ambiguity there. So being very clear on like what is happening, why it's happening and what your customers can anticipate as a next step. So being very crisp in that communication. Um, I also have my CSMs, again, if we have the luxury of doing this, shadow some calls. So where you have a call with a customer with the existing CSM and the new CSM, and they're kind of running things in parallel for some short period of time, just again, keep that continuity, make sure that people are picking up that conversation. Um, and then, you know, closing the loop. I won't get into all my steps, but then making sure that all of your systems of record reflect that new reality, that there's somebody new on the account and that, um, you know, all of your reporting and, and things like that have that continuity of the new ownership. So that's some of the things I think of. I, like I said, account transitions happen so often and because of so many reasons that I think it's an important one to have a framework around. I totally agree, Christy. I love that one. And, and the other thing maybe to keep in mind there is throttling that because it is such a lift for the team. And if everybody's shifting and, and moving accounts all at one time, it can be really, really chaotic. So um, I, I love that one. I think it's so good because if you just leave it up to chance, it does not happen well. It doesn't get done well. So, uh, okay, cool. Is it my turn? Yes. Yep. Okay. Go for it. All right. Mine is a reference request. My number two mm. is reference request. So you just what, took mine. Let's <laughs> uh, see. I told you I was glad I went first, but um, I, in, in my experience, I think when you're, it, it could be hard sometimes because we know our CSMs, especially know, all the good and bad things that are happening with an account, they may be, they may feel a little self-conscious about asking for a reference or feel like the timing has to be just right. Um, but one of my favorite stories from a company I worked with last year is we had a CSM who did a really fantastic job. He had some really bad, like he had some bad news to break to the client about some functionality that they were promised during the pre-sales process that we were not going to deliver as planned or on time. And it was going to impact their go live in this case. And um, so on the call that he was on with them, he was able to break that news and have them sign up to be a reference. In this case, it was actually more than a reference. It was a, uh, it was to, to be a, um, it was to be a reference in one of these Gartner studies that, oh, you know, wow. really, really are, you know, having you go in deep and, and doing the magic quadrant kind of thing. And so not only did he break the bad news, but he was able to get them to agree to be a reference on the same call right, for, for that big activity that we needed. And so um, 
you know, I, I'm getting off on a tangent there, but being able to ask for a reference, no matter what the situation is, is a really important thing. And I think a lot of times we don't ask our clients in advance enough, especially if things are going well, there, there's no harm in throwing that into a conversation to say, Hey, by the way, we have a reference program. We would love every once in a while to use you and have you speak on our behalf. If it's something that you'd be open to, that's as simple as the playbook could be. Right. And then when they say, you know, nine times out of 10, if they're not like completely off the rails, they're going to be willing to do that for you. And they, they get a little bit of a boost out of that too. It means they're important to you, but then you got to track it. Right. And so having a way to track whether that contact is a reference, whether you use Gainsight or churn zero, or even just Salesforce, like track who your references are track when the last time you used them was and, and really keep that list and then follow up. Right. If you use them as a reference, make sure you send them a gift. I've, I am guilty of actually having not done this. I'll confess on the air, like when I should have um, it, but like follow up, send them something, even if it's small, just to say a thank you. It's usually not the dollar amount that matters. It's the fact that you recognize the fact that I took my time to do it. Um, that's important. So reference request playbook and then actual, you know, actually following up on it is another one for me. Love that one. All right, Jeff, you're up. Um, I'm just going to go. So I think the easy one to pick off would be like a quarterly business review or an executive business review, um, which I think is a good one. But I, I think I'm going to try and maybe broaden that a little bit um, because I think what we tend to see maybe start to happen is that we rely on those events as like the only way that we can communicate with our customers. If that makes sense. Like I think sometimes you find teams that are like, Oh, I've got to wait till the QBR or the EBR, you know, to, in order to have a conversation. And so I think more generally, um, like what I'm thinking about is kind of this value-driven reporting uh, or value-driven insights that can be like an ongoing playbook. Um, I'm literally just making this up on the fly because I think uh, we're starting to do this a little bit at higher logic where um, what we're starting to do is just think about like, what is the cadence and how can this be a playbook of us developing content that is really just valuable for our customer going to help them in their jobs, not only with our solution, but in their jobs as they go forward uh, and how do we sequence that, right? How do we actually make it a playbook? Because it's one thing just to send a piece of content, but it's another thing to actually engage them on it, follow up with it, uh, see if it was relevant or valuable, and then kind of iterate as we go forward. So um, one thing we're, we're thinking about is trying to use our, um, use our marketing language. So we're using build, retain, grow, which is part of our uh, new marketing and branding. And so what we're going to do is start to develop some content in our build category, in our retain category, in our grow category. And so the idea then is that our CSMs will actually have kind of multiple areas to go grab content from based on where the customer is. So if I'm, you know, if the customer is starting from scratch in terms of building a community or building an engagement uh, program, then we have kind of this build category. If they're really focused on retaining customers or their members right now, we're going to go grab from this category. So um, I think that's one thing to think about is just how do you categorize the content and then be able to deliver it in a repeatable way. Um, and so along with that, what we're going to try and measure on the back end is uh, some things like, did they open it and read it? Um, did we actually, can we actually survey them or get some sort of feedback about whether that content piece was actually valuable in their job or in their business? Um, and then the third thing is what is the appropriate cadence? And so we're thinking about each segment of the business, um, you know, kind of, higher segments of the business, we're actually going to have a human follow-up that says, Hey, do you want to schedule some time to talk through this um, with our, 
CSM that's on your account. And then towards the bottom end of the um, account accounts that might just be more driven from our technology or marketing automation. So uh, that's kind of a random one. I don't know what to call it right now, but I just think we're develop we're in the midst of developing this in real time. Um, I'm just making this up on the call as well in terms of how it might be structured. But um, I think that one is going to be useful for us as we continue to establish relationships with our customers and try and just get back into this nature of giving value before we, you know, before anything that we really do, like we just want to try and, and kind of reach out the olive branch and always give value. And to me, that is a way that we're going to start to do that by just using content that we've developed over the 15 years of the business inside the four walls that we can, again, just kind of go drive to help them do better at their jobs. So that's what I'm thinking about. I think you Love need it. a playbook that I don't actually have. Oh, I don't know if it's, a, I mean, like, I don't know if it's I mean, actually either. one. You probably have this in, in other various forms. I don't, I mean, I don't know I what to call like, it. I mean, that's obviously part of our EBR, QBR process is like there's recommendations and insights, which is a component of the deck, but it requires them to go do like some data analysis and go look at things so that they're feeding in information. So yes, but like, I love your, like, I love calling that as a, almost a unique thing so that people didn't feel like it was contingent on that activity or the event, right? Like having the EBR or the QBR, especially if you're having trouble getting it scheduled, right? Like still getting the ability to share information and valuable insights. So I love that. Yeah, yeah just because um, you're not talking to them face-to-face -face doesn't mean they're not listening to what you're saying, right? Yes. That too, yeah. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna stay with obscure and try to avoid um, these like, like the ones we haven't talked about, like nobody said renewal yet, which I was interested in, but um, <laughs> gonna avoid that. I'm gonna actually go with survey uh, playbooks. And so, the reason why is because I, it was that could be yours. And the reason why I say that is because obviously closing the loop is so, so important. So I'm going to just take it back and I'm just going to apply it to NPS, but I feel like it's general enough to be part of any survey feedback, like any survey or any feedback loop you have. So for us, for NPS specifically, we've got four playbooks. We've got one for detractor, one for passive, one for promoter, and then one for no response. Um, and the no response one is probably my most uh, interesting one. And that's because that to me is always very concerning, right? When customers are not interested in sharing that feedback, then, you know, what's going on? So, um, you know, just a couple steps or, or activities there is obviously one, go look at the feedback that was submitted. Um, I think that's the first thing you want to go do. Like if they gave you a score or rating, look at it. If they left a comment, read it. Um, and then also go look and see if other folks have submitted other feedback, right? So it's not just the one survey instance. It's all right. Now that we understand how this person feels, how does, how do other people feel that have submitted that? Right? So I always tell my team, go look at what they said, then go start to look at what other uh, employees or people on the team have also given. Um, make sure that you're contacting them, reaching out, and either obviously you're thanking them, you're expressing your your concern, and you're asking them to connect. And that connect could just be like a quick five minute, ten minute call. But the idea there is, regardless if it's good, bad, or indifferent, is that you're having a conversation to dig deeper, right? If they love it and they're super happy and they give you a ten, awesome. But why? Why the ten? You know, what can you learn from that? And then this is your a great opportunity, Jay, to go to your point ask them for the reference, right? Ask mm -hmm. them to go fill out uh, you know, a review on one of those sites, right? So like, what can you ask as a result of getting that feedback? If they're not happy, this is also your opportunity to show them that you're listening and you care, right? So that again, the feedback loop is super important there. So just having that call connect and then closing the loop with them. I think more importantly, not just the conversation, um, but also then making sure that you're gonna go action on that. So if a customer shared feedback like, you know, support has not been timely, right? Like I, I'm submitting tickets and I'm not hearing back from customers for, 
you know, days, weeks, months, um, you know, what can we do to address that? And then how can, as a CSM, you stay on top of that to make sure that that problem actually is resolved over time. And, you know, just, so I think just making sure that you're managing that and setting the proper expectations. So I would say applicable to all surveys, we use it obviously for NPS is just one example, but making sure that you've got a way to manage the feedback coming in and close the loop with your customers. Yep. That was going to be mine, but I'm glad you did it because you did it better justice than I could. And you went way deeper. I do think the no response playbook is a big deal. We always talk about this with Steve Bernstein customers that don't respond to your NPS or three to yep. 14 times more likely to cancel than those who respond as a detractor even. So, sure. you know, NPS only tells you so much, right? And response rates matter. Um, anyway. So, um, but I, I think even just to build on it one more time, like, even with um, closing the loop on on the whole the whole survey that you did, if you're going to survey or you're going to go question everybody and, and try to understand how their experience was, like read that back out to the entire customer base at yep. large, right? And that's a play that you can run at scale. You can communicate with a lot of customers, give them feedback on what you heard and tell them what you're doing about it without actually having to call each one of them individually either. Like you're going to do that too for your larger accounts, but like you can close the loop even if it's with your smaller accounts. Um, okay, so that wasn't mine. Can we stay on so, that? Can we stay on that for oh, a minute? Yeah, yeah, actually, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. so would we? Um, so because I think this is actually one of the reasons why uh, we were successful in our gain grow retain days early on because we would actually survey after every Thursday office hours and then we would actually read it back to everybody and say transparently like here's our NPS score that you gave us, here's the feedback that you gave us. So I'm curious, like would you actually? like send that back to the entire customer base as also as a form of, <clears throat> again, I, not necessarily I care about the score as much as like the trending and the direction and the responses and like what people are saying. But I wonder, is that, a, is that almost a form that a, a way that you can think about kind of creating a social contract that's like, we're reading. Uh oh, did you oh, lose no. Jeff Christie? I did sad. Well, I don't know where he was going. Oh, <laughs> go ahead, Jeff. I like the idea of a social contract. I don't know what's going to happen next, though. Um, I was saying that, is it, do you feel, think if you read it back to the customers, it's like actually a form of a social contract where they feel more obligated to respond going forward because like you're actually showing and being transparent with the results and you're bringing that back up to the customer base. Uh, I'm obviously I'm thinking of the downsides too. I think every, every CEO or every customer facing person is going to be like, don't read that back to the entire customer base. We're just going to open up a can of worms. So I don't know. I'm just curious. Is that like an idea that you could actually use, you know, to your point, Jay, that, that maybe just creates more of a transparency and social contract with our customers that says, Hey, we're asking you for this feedback and whether you respond or not, we're going to, we're going to be transparent and play this back for you. So many of us have responded to these things in all walks of our life, our personal and professional lives, that, and that where we've never heard anything after it or seen any change from it, that I think for people to see, even if you sanitize it a little bit, I mean, you don't have to put like, if somebody drops an F-bomb about how bad you suck and like, you can, you can clear that stuff out, right? Maybe you can show them a trend of what it looks like, sanitize it, but read it back. Because then I think to your point, Jeff, you're, you're communicating to the people that didn't respond, hey, we actually listen to what you say and we're going to use it to improve your experience going forward. So I'd say, yeah. And I like the term social contract there. Cause I think it, it actually does, you know, it does elicit some like strong feelings in me about like the way we should be engaging in, in, in with our customers in a, in a contractual way. All right. So we got four minutes. Should we do lightning round real quick and then yeah. go into a lot of detail? Is go, that go. cool? 
Yep. Or is it is it sure. your turn, Christy, or is it mine? My turn? No, I did not the surveys. This is last oh, round. Okay. Here, so now oh, it's okay, okay. round. All right. Okay. So mine mine is new feature request because a lot of times that's a conversation that people have a hard time with. It's it's sort of sucky. Do I say yes? Do I say no? Do I say I don't know? Do I say I'm kicking it to another team? So the new feature request playbook is one that I think it, that almost needs to be written out line by line so that we have the right messaging going to the right customer so that we don't, or to each customer so that we don't set the wrong expectation with what we are and are not going to do. I'm going to so, just say, maybe you yeah. call it feature idea. I hate the idea of like the calling it feature request feels like we're actually going to deliver it because they've requested Ooh. it. If it's an idea, then it's a recommendation, yeah. right? We're not in the business of creating custom software here. We're not building it because they've asked for it. So I think just changing that well, word and that language, feature idea, not feature request. My, my playbook just got better. Jeff. Okay. Yeah, I like it. Um, I'll throw out there uh, kind of training and enablement as a, a playbook as well. It kind of goes along with the onboarding and implementation, but I think, uh, I, again, I think, we tend to sometimes lump all of those things together. And I actually think like the more I, the more we get into our business, we're starting to essentially separate them because there are such different motions in each. So earlier I said implementation onboarding is I actually kind of see as two different tracks. And then I think there's this training and enablement. Um, and so whether you're doing it right after the initial sale or whether there's a new user who's getting added to the account, I think there has to be a playbook of how are you getting them up to speed, uh, not only on the software, and what they can do technically and what they can do, you know, to use it to, to get value, but also, you know, what are, what have we done as a business to get them up to speed? This is kind of like your executive playbook where you were talking about change, uh, a new stakeholder getting involved, but I think it's slightly different, more, maybe more at the user level, a little bit more about kind of functionality training and enablement and getting on board. So that's one I would throw out there as well. All right. My last one I'm going to toss out is competitive. Um, so we all operate in a world where there is there's there is a choice every customer is making, right? Use your software, use another software, do nothing, right? So like there's always something you're competing with. Um, but so I would say suggest having a competitive playbook that your team can reference that's going to give them the steps of like how to navigate that. One, making sure that they're asking the questions early and often so they get ahead of competitive risk. Then also giving them the, the tools and the framework how to handle the objection, overcome that, but manage it through its entirety. Yeah, that one. You should, um, another thing to think about on that playbook, especially to internally, is anytime we hear about a competitor, trying to make sure we give that internally, um, you know, whether you think somebody's heard it or not, like we need to have a channel where we're kind of logging these things. We've got battle cards about, you know, our solutions next to theirs, or even like giving it to the product team as like, hey, this could be, you know, something that you guys want to go look into to, you know, see what type of other solutions are out there. Um, even if they have probably seen it a hundred or a thousand times or not, I think there's probably a valuable way to do that too, as part of that playbook. Yeah. That, that's where customer success could play such a huge role in like the entire company strategy, right? Yeah. Competitive. Market, and, right? Even understand like what they're hearing and why and what's coming up. So it drives product, it drives yep. go to market. So I think that one for me, I've, I've found it really important depending on what company I've been at. Some, some companies have been more competitive than others uh, in terms of the landscape, but I think that's an important one. Just give your team a framework. Yep. Yep. All right, cool. It's one o'clock. So thanks everybody for joining. Go check out gaingrowretain.com. Gaingrowretain.com. That's the online community uh, specifically for customer success leaders. So um, thanks everybody for joining us. We'll see you next week at uh, 12, 15 ish. And uh, we'll chat with you then. Christy. Good to see Hi you, guys. Jeff. I'll talk to you five more times today, I'm sure. <laughs> All right. See you guys. All right. Bye. Bye.
Hey guys, thanks so much for taking the time to listen to the Gain, Grow, Retain podcast. If you liked what you heard, please take a moment and share the podcast with your friends and colleagues and subscribe. We really appreciate it. Talk to you soon.